it's a red flag for me when I see organizations jumping from one strategic plan to another, to another, to another, and their outcomes aren't changing, or at least changing in a big way. If they're really good at, I, I don't even want to use the word strategic planning. I'll talk about what I want, the term I prefer to use, but if they're really good at it and can execute it and all this stuff and they're iterating through plans and they keep seeing big results, big results, big results, fantastic. But when outcomes are marginal, not big changes and they keep changing the strategic plan, it's a red flag. Welcome everyone to episode nine of the Stop Decorating the Fish podcast. I am your co-host, Randy Cox, and I am here with my very hardworking wife, Kristen Cox, back from Austin. How are you doing this morning, Chris? I'm great, and I'm a little tired, but it was a great trip. Yeah, you've been... um, With some good, really, really neat people, neat clients. You're in the middle of a busy, busy, busy travel schedule, so... So, Chris, we've covered four of the Seductive Seven so far, and today's discussion is going to be around a fifth item in this important list, and that is the fallacy of thinking that the answer to our problem is more strategy, more strategic planning. We all know that most strategic plans go on a shelf. No one reads them. I mean, we know this. And I had some really stupid strategic plans early in my career. And, it, you know, they just don't have a lot of impact. Some do, but it's, it's you know, we'll get into it. What makes a strategy work or not work? Yeah. I know you have some really strong feelings about this, and I also know you have some unique, you have a unique way of seeing this that I haven't really heard in other, from other angles. So I'm anxious to dive into this. And I also know you, you, part of why you feel so strongly about this is because you're very open with your audiences that you have made every single one of these mistakes when yep. you were, you know, oh, yeah. early in I your mean, career. We're, we're all working, you know, working process. Right? So, so I, I thought the, the best, the structure for today might be like really simple. Part one, you walk us through the illusion that we have around strategic planning and the right mindset. Number two, you frame up this critical relationship that you see between like strategic planning and the core problem and operations, like where it fits. You put it in context because I think sometimes we think of it as disconnected and you see it as very interconnected. And then uh, number three, you walk us through these the five mistakes that you see leaders making when they put their strategic planning hat on. So three parts. So why don't we start with the illusion, the right mindset. Like what do we think this is? What do we think we're doing? And how should we be thinking about this? Well, we often believe the problem is we just need a new idea, right? That's what a lot of strategic plans are. A new idea with lots and lots of data and charts and graphs and narrative. (laughs) And that somehow if we have a different idea or the same idea with more data around it, that we get this breakthrough. What we really wanna understand is that that's not the the solution, that if a strategy is a direction of a solution, then we need to think about how did we execute against the last strategic plan in operations? Because there's so much potential in operations. And what's the real problem we're trying to solve if strategy's the, just the direction of the solution? So I've just seen too many strategic plans that don't have tight, clear language around the problem they're solving for their customer. Why can't the organization solve it today? And then what do they have to do in execution? 
and we'll talk more about this as we progress through the podcast, but it's a red flag for me when I see organizations jumping from one strategic plan to another, to another, to another, and their outcomes aren't changing or at least changing in a big way. If they're really good at, I I don't even want to use the word strategic planning. I'll talk about what I want, the term I prefer to use, but if they're really good at it and can execute it and all this stuff and they're iterating through plans and they keep seeing big results, big results, big results, fantastic. But when outcomes are marginal, not big changes and they keep changing the strategic plan, it's a red flag. Yeah, you. I heard you say before, you don't think they should change nearly as often as, mm-hmm. as they do. Yeah, strategy is just the direction of the solution. It's like I'm going to go on vacation on the East Coast, you know, the, the work, the day-to-day work isn't in just changing where I'm going to go on vacation all the time. It's planning on the vacation. It's saving money for the vacation. It's where I'm going to stay. It's all that work. So if you know directionally where you're going and it's the right direction, you really understand why you're going that way and what the problem is you're solving. You know, the, the idea of like, we're going to go to Mars, well, and that's not going to keep changing, Right. We've got all the work is in how do we actually make that happen? So yeah, it's a directional thing. It's not, it's it's like should be like two statements. <laughs> Your strategy can be two statements and the, we, we can distinguish between a strategic plan and a strategy. A strategy is just the direction of the solution, which means you know what your problem is. And that can be just a couple sentences that are really tight. Now, the other piece that I wanna talk about when we talk about a plan, a strategic plan, a plan assumes we already know the terrain. We talk a lot about building out system maps and understanding how we visually can see how all the parts work together. Because even before you make a plan, you have a map because the map orients you on where you are, where you need to go, where are you in relationship to other things, right? And that's why you have to understand what parts are in your system, what, how do they play off each other? What are the interactions with each other? When I know that, and I know the problem I'm solving and the direction of my solution, yeah, then I can start planning, but we jump to the plan with missing some super fundamental elements. And then we just get this long list of action steps that copy and paste, you can put it at any plan. There's no real insight. It's just blah, blah, blah. Didn't you do an analysis, you or your team did an analysis of strategic plans at yeah. one point? We had, I had my team up when I was in the governor's office, just sample a bunch of strategic plans from private sector, federal government, state government, local governments, nonprofit, just you know, a variety of strategic plans. And what we found is that only 15% of them had like a problem statement. And of that 15, in my opinion, only half were like decent, insightful problem statements. Yeah, that's my opinion. Doesn't mean it's wrong or right, just my opinion. So that means out of all the plans we looked at, you know, 7%, 7.5% actually had clarity on why they were going in the direction they were going with their strategy, which tells you there's a lot of effort and a lot of expense and a lot of resources going into plans that just are filled with lots of data, but not insight, as I say. So, so this is the second thing I wanted to talk about because as I started, as I was doing prep and I was looking at these five mistakes that you, um, that we'll get to here in a second, so many of them mentioned the problem, the problem, the problem. And, and even the way you framed this, the strategy is the direction of a solution. If you have a solution, that means you're having to solve something, solve a problem, right? Yeah. And it's always the question, what problem are you solving and for whom? 
in our prior episodes, we talked about primary customer, but it's not just I have a problem to solve, but for whom am I solving the problem? And sometimes we have very internal focused strategies that are all about fixing internal infrastructure, et cetera, and that's fine, but what organization thrives when they're not providing a service for somebody outside the organization? That's just an example. So we're here to solve a problem for people we serve or our constituents or our customers. And until we know what their problem is, it's very difficult to create a strategy around it. And then it's, you know, why can't the organization solve it today? What's the limitation that needs to be removed? All those good things. Then you can actually start getting some, some insight around what, where you need to go directionally. To me, that like grounds it in in reality of the situation of the that we're in, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not some airy fairy thing that's up, coming out of the ivory tower that's that's completely disconnected. It's it's right in the middle mm-hmm. of everything that we're dealing well, with. Well, the other problem with the strategic plan, and you know, I understand just a planning exercise by itself can be helpful if you know what problem you're solving. But what we what I often see is this idea that we can impose this you know really comes from the world of theory of constraints certainty on uncertainty so we write a plan i remember during the pandemic an agency had a few years ago created a plan in case of a pandemic you know kudos for them to try to take that on so no criticism of the the people because what i saw here was very common i think the plan was over 400 pages which which tells you that there's this, and you see this all the time in strategic plans, like lots of action steps. And that's fine to a point, but there's this idea that somehow we can predict and forecast and know what the future is going to be. And that if we just sit in a room long enough and look at enough data and write enough action steps, we'll be able to impose that on to the future and make that work. And understanding that you can't, impose certainty on uncertainty your plan has to be your strategy has to again solve the right problem and understand that so much of that work is going to be managing it in operations which is all about reacting to uncertainty having strategies to overcome that it's it's what's your plan going to do when everything you think is going to happen doesn't happen um, and that's a lot of operational issues. And strategic plans should never be decoupled from operations. That's one of the biggest mistakes we make. We make a strategic plan. We throw it over the wall to operations. We give them the action steps. And that's the action steps we put in strategic plans are often so disconnected to how operations and the flow of work is actually happening. That's why nobody pays attention to the strategic plans because they're disconnected. Yeah, that's, that's very similar to what's in uh, the chapter on chapter one. In Made to Stick, where they talk about simple, they talk about no mm-hmm. battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. Right? As soon yeah. as, as soon as they're, they, you can plan for months or years, but as soon as that happens, it's, he's like, you can't, he's like, if you were to try to write a chess game for your best friend, like what moves for your friend to play in his chess game, <laughs> just, you know, you can't, you can maybe say, okay, you know, what the pawn does in the very first move, but it, after, after that, it's very difficult. That's so. a great example. And, you know, it's good to know the rules of chess and to study. And sometimes there's benefit in just the planning exercise. But no, it's just that. It's an exercise to help you think through different scenarios. But it's that's not what's going to happen in reality. So let's go through part three of this uh, podcast. It's going to be like the five mistakes 
that you see leaders making? Let's just go through those one at a time. Well, I'm in at a sixth because I, I want to start yeah. here about if I had one wish in the world, well, I have, if I could have many wishes in the world, but one wish would be that we change out the word strategic plan with the concept of complete solution. Because complete solution for me means, you know, just throwing a strategic plan out there, it, it's not sufficient. So a complete solution is, okay, I know my customer, I know the problem they have, the, the limitation I need to remove, which by itself is its own podcast, really discovering that. And then I understand why can't the organization solve it today, right? If I know what the problem is, why can't I get a big improvement there? So we can take, let's, Let's take programs that try to get people back to work. TANF, or which is temporary assistance for needy families, things like that. You'll see these very stagnant outcomes. You know, 70% entered employment, retention's pretty similar. And you think, why, if, if we know that the problem is somebody doesn't have a job and we're not making a big impact there, either we're not understanding the problem for the customer or we're blocked at the organizational level. There's something going on in execution that we're not being successful at. So we've got, that's part of the complete solution. So it's, who, who's the customer, their problem, why can't the organization solve it at the strategic level directionally? And then in operations, what's the problem I have to solve in operations? So when you bundle those together and think through all that and understand, again, a lot of the work will happen in the day-to-day -day work of operations, but if you set, have you set up the right infrastructure measures, do you have really command and control over your operations to be able to pivot when you need to? If you have those three things in place, then I call that a complete solution. And if we could substitute that versus strategic planning, you know, it doesn't fix it, but it gives us some insight that we've got to think differently about how we approach this type of work at the strategic level. Now that's excellent. That's like a reframing of the whole idea of it mm -hmm. instead of just accepting that and moving, yeah, moving into it. Yeah. So the, the very first problem you say is that you believe that we were, we believe that there's multiple problems instead of one core problem. Yeah. And you even, you even came up with this term, the problem generator. Yes. So, you know, there's lots of problems to chase in our organizations, and you know, I certainly don't want to discount the pressures people feel. But the reality is, is that we only have, that's another mistake that I'm going to just talk about here, is that we, we have to face the reality we have limited time and attention, as Dr. Goldratt taught us. It's, it's just true. As much as we'd like to pretend we don't and just jam in a million initiatives, we have finite time and attention. And if we understand what we call our work and process limits, how much work we really can take on at any one time is limited, it's finite. We have to be very careful about which problem we go after. I've seen organizations chasing problems and strategies that at the end of the day, if you really analyze it, at best, if it were executed, it would save you like a tiny fraction of money or a little bit of improvement for the customer so getting to the most important problem to solve is key. And again, it centers right back into that customer. What's that customer's primary limitation? What is something they want to do, need to do, but can't do now? Something's blocking or preventing them. And that can anchor us in starting to think about the most significant problem. Yeah, but all problems, we can't solve them all. And so strategically, you know, the strategic level, if we're going to use that word, direction of the solution, 
it really should be around solving the most fundamental problem we need to solve. So let's let's use an example from the private sector. Uh, this is an actual example, a company called Omron that was the first to make a blood pressure device that's portable that you can use at home. There's a lot of things you could try to fix in the healthcare industry and a lot of problems you could fix in your organization. And this company was very hyper-focused on a certain group of people, folks that had health issues and high blood pressure issues and needed to watch their blood pressure to make sure they stayed healthy. So in that scenario, what's the most important problem and the friction point for this patient, this customer that is also a patient for a doctor? Well, imagine if to ma- monitor your blood pressure, you've got to go in all the time to make appointments with your doctor. There's so much friction there. We all know what it takes to get into a doctor's appointment and get off of work and you sit there in waiting room for an hour. Imagine if you had to do that on a frequent basis. The limitation to remove that that was so important is how do I create advice where people actually don't even have to go to the doctor? Like you just remove that limitation for them. And so the problem to solve there is anchored in the customer. How do we make a blood pressure device that somebody can use at home? That's reliable, it's trustworthy, it's getting accurate information so they can monitor at home. It removes a significant limitation for the customer. So the strategy now becomes we are going to create a very reliable blood pressure device that people can use from home. Now the challenge is your business model. How do I do this so I'm profitable? What does my business model look like? Another part of your complete solution, right? You can't just have a strategy about building a blood pressure device if you don't have a model that's profitable. In government, it's about program design. We do a lot of evidence-based models in government that aren't scalable. So it's a great thing, but you can serve 100 people. And then the next question is, okay, in operations, how am I actually going to build this thing, right? How do I have a good supply chain? How do I have reliable materials? How am I going to get this to the, the patient when they need it? How do I deal with inventory so I don't have too much or too little? How do I manage my lead time? If I don't have all those elements in place, I don't have a complete solution. I have this idea, maybe that's not even anchored in the primary customer, but you know, even if I had the idea that was anchored, the right idea for the customer, the limitation to solve to make a portable blood pressure device, but I didn't think about the business model or my execution issue, I have what we call a half-baked solution. It's not gonna go anywhere. So this is why we've gotta start substituting strategic plan with complete solution. So not many problems to solve here. Now there's many challenges in operations and execution, but all of those are anchored in this one problem giving somebody a portable device, blood pressure device they can use at home. Now that becomes the problem to solve. And it generates other issues, other challenges to face, but they're all in context of this bigger problem to solve. And I guess what you're saying is if you solve that deeper root problem, there'll be a cascading effect that these other problems that we're dealing with will also get dealt with. Yeah, I mean, if, if you know, you could try to, let's say in this scenario, you could, you know, instead of looking at the core problem, you could say, hey, how do we have an easier scheduling experience in the doctor's office so patients can get in quicker? Or maybe we deal, muck around with the insurance so that people have high blood pressure can get discounts if they go see their doctors three times a month. Or you know, you can dink around with a lot of other like perceived problems, but when you get to the real limitation the customer's facing, 
and you solve that, all these other things of scheduling the doctor, insurance, the cost of getting there, how do I get out of work, all these other issues that are out there go away. But it does require some thinking and deep thought about the problem we're trying to solve. Like you were just consulting with a, um, an organization that had a call center, and the call center has its own set of problems. Oh, yeah, but the call center, I love this example, because call centers are often just ripe with downstream problems that are happening because they weren't fixed upstream, right? So you can go to the call center and say, we want to improve our wait times. We want to reduce our wait times. We want to have issue resolution on the phone. We want to, we have high turnover in these call centers. So we need to maintain our employees and figure a compensation strategy out, yada, yada. We need different technology to monitor all the call centers. We need chat features. You know, I'm not saying you totally eliminate the call center, but those are all symptoms usually not all the time but often of what we're seeing upstream which means people aren't getting the right service at the right time quickly and because of that they're calling the call center to get status reports which you know generates 50 percent of the calls for example and then if you resolve that up front you actually get the the product that somebody needs or the service somebody needs when they when they need it when you said you deliver it and it's a quality product all of this downstream call center stuff starts to go starts at least to slow down and even shrink. And so it mitigates or minimizes some of those downstream problems. Those are just symptoms of what's happening upstream in the in the system. Gotcha. Right, let's jump to uh, issue number two, you see. So uh, this is thinking that the lack of something is the problem. Mm. This is a tough one. And for people, sometimes they so with a group a couple years ago, and they believed that the problem was there was a lack of good policy. Now, they, it's interesting, to, if you go deeper, why isn't that the answer? Let's take something more concrete. Let's say we have a teacher shortage. And people say we have a lack or shortage of something, lack of teachers, shortage of teachers. How do you know you have a shortage of teachers? What you have to look at is what's causing the shortage or what's the consequence of the shortage. And usually the consequence gives you is the more important thing. How do you know that you have a shortage of teachers? Well, you would assume that student scores are suffering. Class sizes, if it's true that a certain class size is the right amount to get ideal student outcomes and you're starting to see student outcomes drop a bit, students aren't getting the attention they need or we've got rotating substitutes so you know the math instruction isn't consistent, that's the real problem. Let's say you have poor student performance lack of good teachers apps you know my mom is a teacher and i'm a big fan of teachers so if but that but when you define it as a lack of something you presuppose the solution i have a lack of teachers i need more teachers now again that may be part of it but is that all of it is that the only thing you need to increase student outcomes what about the quality of teachers what's the support in the classroom that needs to happen what are policies going on in the district that's uh, helping or supporting literacy so when we understand the consequence of the shortage, then we can open our minds and broaden the thinking a bit to understand, is the teacher shortage the problem to solve? Could be, or is there something else going on in the system? The other thing to look at is what's causing the shortage. You know, Let's say we've understood that the teacher shortage is directly impacting student outcomes, right? Because you, if you don't understand the consequence of your shortage, you could jump to the solution, get more of what I'm lacking and not see a change in outcomes because you may not be touching the right problem. So in this case, what's 
let's say we assume and we know that there's not enough teachers to teach in the classroom. The classroom sizes are too big. So now we got to understand what's causing the shortage. Sometimes people will jump to it's more money. It could be a lot of different things. Working with a group right now and they've got a staffing shortage and in this parts of the country, there's just big staffing shortages. The labor market's tight. And if that's a reality and you're not just going to be able to get this huge budget increase out of thin air and you really think deeper about who's your customer and you see your teachers as a customer, what else can you bring to the table in addition to money that's really going to help solve some big problems for them? And if you talk to teachers, they'll give you some really good insights on this, but what's their limitation? I'm not saying you take money off the table, but money by itself isn't going to solve the world's problems and it's very difficult to get enough of it sometimes to really make the impact, to have enough dosage to change it. So if you treat them as a customer, you, you got to start thinking about what's, what do they need out of their life and their schedule and what work looks like for them to make this attractive place to work. And so again, we broaden our, our thinking a bit on the topic. So yeah, shortage, that's just lazy thinking. We don't not have enough housing for the homelessness, build more housing. We need, what, you, got, you got to go what's causing the shortage and what's the consequence of the shortage to broaden our thinking a bit. And that, that actually, the, the examples you just used actually leads us to the third issue you see, which is defining the problem too narrowly. And, and mm-hmm. you were specifically talking about, you know, it's the people around the table in the executive room or executive conference room are thinking about the problems from their perspective, but there's also customers have a perspective and your employees have a perspective. And you were talking about like, you gotta zoom out. Yeah, you gotta take a bigger picture. This is the foundation of what we do is systems thinking. We often react to the problem that's right in front of us or the thing that feels most urgent. So, you know, you can take a healthcare system and we can see that the biggest, people may say, geez, it's, you know, doctors are overscheduled, so we gotta fix our scheduling system. Not saying that's not a problem to solve, but when you zoom out a bit and you look at why are doctors overscheduled, what's causing that, what's the consequence of that, and then even going up a level deeper and say, where does the doctor fit in the bigger, you know, let's just say clinic for this example, where does the doctor fit in the clinic? How are our patients being sent back? Or is there any rework when they're coming back? Are they doing a good job triaging patients so that some patients could do telehealth and be treated at home to reduce the cues at the clinic? You know, there's a lot, you gotta zoom out and see the bigger picture. You gotta see what's happening upstream from you, downstream from you, above you and below you to get the full picture. Otherwise we get very myopic, very, very myopic. We can see this, you know, I know this is a controversial topic, but we saw this pretty consistently with the pandemic. It was a critical issue to save lives, right? To deal with that. The challenge was is that when you have an expertise that's only looking at the pandemic, you know, the, the life part of this, which is a big deal, but is ignoring the other issues that could happen, such as you know education, gaps in education, mental health issues, domestic abuse, you know, children who aren't in school, most of the kids who are abused in the schools, are, you know, it's very common to see a spike in reports on child abuse when kids come back to school because now teachers are around them. People can see them when they're not going to school and they're just at home and there's nobody checking to see if they're being abused or noticing it. There's, you know, can be spikes in child welfare. So when we become too myopic, it's, and it's hard because it feel com, can feel complex and can feel like, how do I have a strategy that deals with all of these consequences of an action? 
And people will, because it feels so hard and overwhelming, they'll narrow it down. They'll make it tiny. I used to see this phenomenon in the budget all the time. It's much easier to debate an appropriation for $100,000 about a capital investment that's very concrete because you can like get your head around it. Much more difficult to say, well, Medicaid is $4 billion and there's an X percent growth in medical inflation and then here's your $4 billion because the, the healthcare space seems so big and overwhelming that we break it down. We don't even you know, pay attention to that. We pay attention to the problems that we can get our head around. Systems thinking gives us some tools to go up a level and how to gives us some confidence that we can take on these bigger systems and they don't have to be as complex as we think that they are. Gotcha. Well, the uh, the fifth one, we, we'll jump ahead to that real quick because you've already touched on that. That's ignoring the reality that we have limited time and attention. You've already talked about yeah. that. So the yeah. last one we'll talk about is the fourth one, which is actually defining problems outside of our control. Yeah. You know, one of the, we have these different traps for where people set goals and one of them is setting indirect goals and it, t- it ties to this. That is, you know, there's so much we have already we already have stewardship over a lot, you know, either a team or our own work product or an entire organization. So it's much easier, we know in life, to try to change other people's behaviors than to change our own. I use this quote a lot, but I love it. It's from Gandhi and it says, we must become the change we wanna see in the world. That's really hard. It's, it's much easier for me to say, hey, I want there to be political civility among our politicians, but do I practice that same sense of respect when listening to people who have different opinions than I do, right, in my own life, day to day. So often in organizations, we start with how are we going to change, let us let me give you an example of, let's go back to TANF, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. Let's say you have a single mom, unemployed, let's say chronically unemployed, and has some addiction issues, and is really struggling to get on her feet and get back to work and keep her kids stable. We do a lot of measurements and strategy around changing that person, right? What's the evidence-based model we need to give them? And we're tracking where she is and her, you know, did she go to her training? And is she enrolled in a training program? And did she attend it? We're tracking her all the time. And we're tracking our employees sometimes too. Did how How much entered employment did they get? You know, did they help close cases? What we're seldom though tracking is, and you, you know, we posted on this today on LinkedIn. How are we contributing to the problem? Meaning, are we getting the right service at the right time and the right amount to this person? And we can control that. Economic development, we'll see this a lot. You know, the, the state will be talking about generating more revenue. You know, big goals like we want more jobs, more revenue. That's very inward focused. And you can't just force companies and individuals to come and work here. So when you get very clear on who's my customer, oh, let's take an industry, let's take a biotech industry. What's the biggest challenge they have? Well, if you look at Massachusetts, one of the biggest challenges that industry had back in the day is uncertainty. The policies were so uncertain at the time as this industry was emerging that liability potential was huge. So when, as a state, when I understand the problem to solve is a stable environment to deal with liability issues, then I can actually solve a problem for somebody else, not myself, for some, and I can't control them, I can't force them to come, but my end of it is how do I create an environment that creates stable 
a stable environment from the legal side to deal with liability issues, that people know the rules of the game. I can control that. I can remove that limitation for a customer and, and then if they come or don't come, you know, I can reduce my taxes. I can reduce my taxes through having better operations. I can change that. So when we look at what do we have power over, you, you'll, you'll see you have much more than you think you do. And when you look at that combined with focus on the customer, there's magic. All right, so we uh, basically have a, a reframing to kind of recap here. Like, So you have a different way of seeing this whole space. So a strategy is a direction of a solution, and the strategic plan is how you would go about doing that in the operations, and it's directly connected to your day-to-day operations, the problems that your customer face, the limitations that you're going to try to, you're trying to remove. Yeah, just complete solution. I mean, yeah. the five questions I ask that I want to see in any kind of quote-unquote strategic plan, you know, I like the term complete solution. I want to know, have you identified your customer? Do you know what their primary need is? Not the nice to have, not features and benefits or more emojis on the phone, you know, like what's the real limitation to solve? What's, if, this is if you want a breakthrough. Why can't the organization solve it today? Is there anything impeding the organization? Sometimes that's business model, program design, policy, things like that. What's my problem in, in my execution, right? Where's my constraint in my operations? And you'll, every level of these has its own defined quote unquote limitation or constraint. And when we're really clear and tight on those, we have a, a good chance of having a breakthrough. Got it. Well, that is excellent. We, uh, we actually have a, the, a written form of this on the Fulcrum, which is uh, Kristen's private online training community. It's also where it's a repository for her long form content. So if you would like to get read this in an article form. And I think not, we have a few articles quite, on it. Yeah, we yeah. have a few different articles. So yeah, you should we, go on and check them out. Great. Chris's long form content, like her articles, we have recordings from live streams, webinars. We have all kinds of content on there. So if you are not a member already, we'd invite you to join. It's uh, www.jointhefulcrum.com. You can read more requests to join there. We'd love to have you. Another uh, another benefit of joining is that actually as soon as we're done recording this podcast and each podcast, we actually pause and then we keep recording and we have a little bit of extra content that's available only inside the Fulcrum to Fulcrum members. And that's really uh, focused on the application of the ideas that we just covered in that day. So also, if, you, uh, if you're not already, I encourage you to uh, follow Kristen on LinkedIn. And if, as always, if you find value in this episode or in a prior episode, we ask you to like and to share this with a colleague so we can share the, the message of, of stop decorating the fish. And uh, with that, Chris, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up and we'll see you again in two weeks. Any final thoughts? I just, there's so many challenges in the world right now, right? When we all, you know, I'm not trying to be philosophical too much on this. And we can spend a lot of our energy and our time, quite frankly, worrying about things that are we, we can't control. And it's exhausting and it drains people. But going back to one of the challenges I see in strategic plans is you know, start with what you have. What we talked about today can feel big and overwhelming, but start with what you have. You know, start making an impact with what you have. And over time, you'll expand your circle of influence, you know. You can start it with your team, with your own workload, and start practicing and thinking about what's the real problem here. Let me let me just go up a little bit. Maybe I can't. Maybe I'm a correctional officer in the in the prison system, and I can't change the whole prison system. But what can you do with your own work? 
you know, look at your supervisor, look at your colleagues, always go outside yourself, look up, downstream, ahead of you. And just even from, do mini strategic plans. What's the problem for my supervisor? How could I help my supervisor be more successful? What's blocking my supervisor? You know, what's the direction of my solution to solve that for my supervisor? What am I going to do in my own day-to-day work in my operations, in my little world to make an impact there? So don't feel intimidated that this, you know, the challenge with some of these systems thinking is it takes leadership at the top, quite frankly, to scope this out, to develop the complete solution, to have a grasp of systems thinking and operations. That's hard work. We don't always have leaders that can do that. So don't be discouraged because you can still do it and make an impact wherever you are. Just think outside yourself. All right. So that's an excellent place to end this podcast. And again, we thank you for listening and we'll see you here in a couple of weeks. So stop decorating the fish. Thank you.